pray that you'd speak through Michael. Uh, you'd speak through your word into our hearts, God. Please just change us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, welcome. It is good to see each and every one of you this morning. A beautiful, cool, crisp September morning, ready for fall. There is a little tree in our yard that some of the leaves have just started to turn. I know it's early, but just reminds me of what's coming. Uh, in about three or four weeks, um, this place will light up and uh, just be reminded that, that God is at work, that uh, in His creation, he, he ordains things to ebb and flow. He ordains things to die and come back to life. Um, and so in the, in the midst of fall and watching the, the green fade away and give way to, to beautiful colors, which is, in a sense, a, a precursor of death, um, we're reminded that, um, that spring is coming. And may that be a reminder to us that, that our resurrection, our rebirth, is coming as well. We are in the middle of a series in the book of Colossians. Uh, there's an outline in the bulletin for you to follow along. If you need one, Linda has one. If you raise your hand, she'll be happy to get you one. And we are uh, finally going to pick back up a little bit of speed. For the last several weeks, we've been looking kind of at a verse at a time in chapter 3. And this morning, we're, we'll finish chapter 3 and actually move into chapter 4. Um, and then uh, next week, uh, a few more verses and then uh, maybe one or two more after that to finish up our time in Colossians. This passage, uh, beginning in, in chapter 22, uh, verse 22 of chapter 3, um, deals with uh, an issue that, that is sort of foreign to us, deals with the issue of, of slaves and masters. Um, not that there is not still slavery that goes on in this world, there is. Um, but people often say... Uh, that the application for this is is employers and employees, the work world. It's not a wrong application, it's just not complete. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, what we're going to see is, ultimately, is that God has a way of meddling in every area of our life. But not just meddling to annoy us. Um, his goal is to transform every area of our life because that's what God's about. He's in the, he's in the process, in the act of, of transforming us. For those of us who have come to know Him as Lord and Savior, He transformed our lives. And what He wants to do is, and the reason He meddles in every area of our life, is He wants every area of our life to proclaim the power of that transformation to the world. Not just on Sunday morning when we dress up and look nice and smile, but even in those situations that are hard and difficult and that we would rather not be in, God wants the fact that He's transformed our hearts to translate to the fact that our lives have transformed and we relate to our circumstances differently than the world. And He wants that to be a picture of who He is to the world. And so as we look at this maybe foreign concept of slaves and masters, um, what Paul is doing is 
he's working his way down into that culture to its very depths to make a point. We'll see that in a little bit. One of the things that we, we often think is people say, well, in the Roman world, slavery was different than it was in, say, 19th century America. When we think of slavery, we think of uh, the horrible abuses of the slave system in 19th century America, of, of the way that human beings were treated um, worse than animals often. And people say, well, the Roman system wasn't quite like that. Uh, partially that's true, but partially it's not true. Granted, uh, in the Roman system, you could enter into slavery voluntarily to pay off a debt. You could often even be paid in your slavery and end up uh, working your way out of slavery. Often slaves were treated like family members. They held positions of prestige in the home, in a business, even in the church. Those things are true, but what's also true is there were a lot of slaves that were treated just like the slaves of 19th century America. And so when we read these words of Paul, let us not think, oh, he's talking about masters who are mostly nice and slaves who really kind of get along with everybody. He's talking to the good and the bad, the nice and the ugly. And I'm not convinced at all that his words would be any different if he was talking to 19th century America. Let's just not forget that. That he is speaking into a cultural situation and wants the gospel to come alive. The other question to deal with is, why doesn't Paul just say, Masters, free your slaves? That's a real issue that as believers we need to deal with because Paul doesn't say that. And the question is, why does he not say that? And we'll talk about that this morning as well. So if you would follow along as we begin in chapter 3, verse 22, and I'm going to read through chapter 4, verse 1. The story goes, the guy that was, that was putting in chapter and verse numbers was doing it on a ride in an ox cart, and he must have hit a bump somewhere because 4-1 really goes with chapter 3, but, well, his pen got hit a bad bump, and there we go, chapter 4. So follow along with me as I read, please. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Let's pray, and then we'll look at God's Word together. Father, thank you for an opportunity again to gather in fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we ask that you would open up our, our ears and our eyes, that you would keep us from distraction, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would, um, that we would see you more clearly this morning, that ultimately uh, we would be changed, that others would see you more clearly through us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, slaves, in all things, obey your masters. Interesting word, that word master. It's the exact same word that, that is translated often talking about Jesus, Lord. So maybe we could read this. Slaves, obey your earthly lords. 
Or maybe we should turn it around and we should talk about our master, Jesus Christ. I had a friend in college who was from India, and whenever he would pray, he would begin his prayer, Master. A reminder to him and all of us spoiled Americans that, that we serve something besides ourselves. Maybe we should, we should read scriptures that way a little more often. Master. Master Jesus. We have a, a heavenly Master. What he does is he tells them to obey and he tells them, uh, he gives them kind of four different um, categories of what that obedience looks like. He talks about the scope of that obedience. He talks about the manner they are to obey. He talks about what should motivate them to obey. And then finally, he talks about the reward for obedience. First of all, the scope of their obedience is in everything. If your master tells you something to do, you do it. Period. And we, as Americans that are independent, sort of bristle at that thought. That someone would tell me something to do and I would just do it. Even if it was uncomfortable. Even if I didn't want to. Even if it might be painful. Paul says, obey in everything. That's, that's your place in society. And that seems harsh. But we keep going. The manner that they're to obey... Um, he, uh, we think that Paul actually coined this term. Says uh, the NAS says, uh, not with external service. It's really a compound. He took two Greek words, uh, the word for I and the word for service, and put them together. Don't act. Don't work as I service. In other words, don't do what you're doing just when they're watching. Don't do what you're doing just to try to please them. Don't do what you're doing just so that they notice and pat you on the back. Whether they're watching or not, whether you think you get anything out of it or not, you do what they've asked you to do. Your goal is not to please men. The manner in which you obey, if you are a slave in that culture, Paul would say, is not just because someone's watching you. Because it's the right thing to do. And again, we may bristle at that. Slavery doesn't seem right at all. He says you do it with sincerity of heart. See, sincerity doesn't concern itself with making a good impression. Either you're sincere or you're not. In fact, making a good impression, if that's your goal, probably means that you're not being very sincere. It probably means that you're doing it because you want something out of it. Sincerity is, is whether they notice or not, I'm going to do what I've been called to do. Really, that, that word, sincerity of heart, is sincerity of it's the soul. It's from the, the inner man. It's who you are deep inside coming out in what you do which presupposes that who you are deep inside has been transformed by the gospel. There's an understanding here, as Paul has talked for three chapters of what the gospel is, that they understand that. Those slaves sitting in that, in that church and listening to this, there's an understanding you have been transformed. You know what it means to put off the old self and put on the new. 
You understand what it means that you've identified with Christ in His death and His resurrection. And if those things are true, then that inner transformation is going to, going to manifest itself in sincerity. You doing what you're called to do, whether anybody ever notices or not. Whether anybody ever pats you on the back, whether anybody ever says anything and acknowledges the fact that you were obedient. Third, the, the motivation. With sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Our motivation is the fact that we have really a, a different master, a different Lord than the one who may be giving instructions. Our motivation is that we do those things for our Heavenly Father. The one who created us, remember back in, in chapter 1, He's the one that created all things. He sustains all things. He's the one that leads and heads the church. And He's the one that sacrificed Himself for the church. He's the one that went first in that idea of, I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to anyway, and I'm going to do it sincerely. I'm going to do it whether anybody appreciates it or not. And as we read at the beginning of service this morning, nobody did. Nobody appreciated. In fact, they mocked him. They laughed at him. They challenged him to prove who he was. And he stayed on the cross anyway. Because he sincerely wanted a relationship with you and I. He sincerely wanted to reconcile God to man. And it didn't really matter whether anybody appreciated that or not. He still died for us. So our, our motivation is not whether my master or my boss or whoever's in authority over me recognizes, appreciates, or understands. My motivation is I'm doing this for one who's already done that for me. Finally, the, the result is there's a reward of the inheritance. Right? We walk through this life faithfully knowing that on the other side our final salvation will be accomplished. Right? We have salvation because of what Christ has done for us when we accept that payment for our sins. We repent. We change allegiances we've talked about. We have salvation but in the midst of that, we still are undergoing the process of being transformed bit by bit. And we long for and we wait for that day when we will get our final salvation. When we will be glorified. When we'll be in His presence. And we, John writes, will be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. Well, finally, all the blinders will be taken off. All the veils will be removed. And we'll see Him for who He is. And we will necessarily be changed. That's why Paul says, set your mind on things above. That's how we're changed here is by focusing on the wonder and the glory and the majesty of Christ. That's how we're transformed. And one day we'll see clearly, we'll see face to face. And that process will be complete.
And so there's, there's a reward for being faithful throughout life. But then in verse 25, he says, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. And I can imagine almost the, the masters, the slave owners that may be sitting in church kind of nodding in agreement. Now, yeah, Paul, you need to put them in their place, need to make sure that we've got everything in order. We appreciate that, Paul. That's right. If, if they do wrong, there's going to be consequences. And then Paul does something extremely radical and very countercultural. He addresses the masters in a way that turns the issue of slavery on its head. He says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. And, it, and we read over that, and it's just, I mean, the slaves get three or four verses, and the masters just get one, and we kind of can gloss over that and move on because there's a chapter break and it doesn't really fit. And then, oh, we can devote ourselves to prayer in verse 2. But that's a radical statement. Grant your slaves justice and fairness because you also have a master in heaven. And if we think about that for just a half a second or so, we have to think, well, how did the Master in Heaven grant justice and fairness to us? It certainly wasn't on the basis of what we deserved. If He had granted justice to us on the basis of what we deserved, then there would be wrath and condemnation. But our Master in Heaven granted justice and fairness to us through the cross of Christ through the sacrifice of Himself. And now, masters need to, to look at themselves for a moment and say, well, how am I granting justice and fairness to those that are under my authority? Am I sacrificing myself for them? Am I taking on any wrath or condemnation that they should receive on myself? Am I absorbing debt that, that maybe they should absorb? See, Paul never says, free your slaves. He says, treat them as Christ treated you. You see, freeing slaves in the Roman world wasn't going to change people's hearts. But when they saw a master and a slave being willing to be taken advantage of in joy, that's a picture of our Lord and Savior. Because the slave could surely say, well, wait a minute, Paul, if I really do this, couldn't my master take advantage of my goodness and sincerity and treat me unkindly and not ever appreciate it? Yes, he could. Just like the world could take advantage of Christ's sacrifice. And the masters could say, but Paul, if I really am just and completely fair, might my slave not take advantage of that and become lazy? Yeah, he might. Especially if he's not a believer. And that's okay, Paul? Yeah, in fact, that's not only okay, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. 
I don't know about you, but there's been lots of times that despite Christ's sacrifice and Him treating me justly and fairly, that I've been lazy, that I've taken advantage of grace, that I've not fought sin the way that I should. And what Paul is doing is not just saying, free your slaves. He's saying, I want you to picture to the world what the cross of Christ looks like. And so that verse 25, I think not only applies to the slaves, but it applies to the masters as well. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. See, God doesn't change His requirements of holiness depending upon our circumstances. Let me say that again. That's extremely important. God does not change His requirements of holiness depending upon our circumstances. We may be tempted to say, well, I'm in a really bad place and so therefore I can't do whatever God calls me to do. And this example turns that on its head. It really doesn't matter how bad off your life is. You've been called to picture Christ to your world. And that's extremely more shocking to the world. Seems even a little unfair. And yet, it's a better picture than him just saying, oh, free your slaves. And it's not that Paul wouldn't ever say, if you have a chance to be free, take advantage of that. He does say that in other places in Scripture. But if you find yourself in a position that you don't like, that doesn't excuse you from manifesting Christ's goodness to you through salvation to the world. Just because we have a difficult life doesn't mean we get to go by a different standard. Standard says the same. We have an obligation, we have a privilege, a high privilege of manifesting the glory and the wonder of Christ because the Holy Spirit dwells in us to a world that needs to know what it looks like to love someone. Even if that someone is my master, even if that master treats me unkindly. What does love look like in that instance? So what about us today? If you want, you certainly can apply this to work. If you're a boss of someone, are you treating your employees, are you granting them justice and fairness? In other words, if when they leave, when the day is over, do they really want to go back the next day because they know they'll be treated justly and fairly? And they know that they're loved. If you find yourself as an employee of someone... Do you honor your boss by doing what he asks you to do, even if he's a jerk? Do you submit yourself to him, even if he's harsh and cruel and unkind and unfair, and sometimes just downright hard to get along with? But do you picture to other employees the cross of Christ? That's the issue. But it's not just about work. Really, it's about all of life. Right? God meddles in everything. 
Whenever you find yourself in a subordinate position in life, whatever that looks like, do you, do you fit into that subordinate role with sincerity? Are you going to walk like Christ walked? Whatever that authority figure may look like, may act like. And if you find yourself in an authority position, are you going to treat whoever is your subordinate with justice and fairness? Are you going to model Christ? That may be a boss, maybe a coach. It may be that you're discipling someone. Lots of different realms and, and there's too many of us to pinpoint all of those specific things but what each of us need to do this week is to go home and think where am I subordinate and how do I respond where am I, where am I in a position of authority and how do I act like one of, one of the, the big things that we're, that's on everybody's mind over the next 55 days is we're fixing to elect a, a president the problem is we currently have one. And that president is an authority figure over every one of us. And the question is, how do we treat him? If Jesus could honor Pontius Pilate, who from historical records was a scoundrel and was fixing to put him to death, if the early church could honor the emperors, you should... Maybe sometime find some letters that, that church people wrote to the emperor. Uh, here's why you shouldn't persecute us, but it was always in honor and respect. If the early church could do that, if, if Jesus could do that, then we probably ought to be very careful about how we treat our president, whether you agree with what he does or not. That's not the issue. He is an authority figure over you because you're a citizen of the United States. And so we need to think very carefully about how we act. Are we sincere or are we profane? Are we bigoted? Are we hateful? Or do we model to the world the cross of Christ in the way we respond. That's a simple example. There are tons of other examples if you go through your day and think about where am I subordinate? Where am I in authority? In each of those situations, you have an opportunity to display to the world our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the way that you act by the way that you fulfill that role as an authority figure, by the way you fulfill that role as a subordinate, you have chances every single day to do something very counter-cultural. To, in a sense, take up your cross. To sacrifice what I want, what I think is, what I think is, is best for me, what makes me comfortable, and say, I'm going to model Christ to the world. What's hard, though, is we, we think about slaves, especially those that are treated poorly, and we say, that doesn't seem right. That God would allow them to stay in that, that 
horrible situation and yet encourage them to model Jesus there. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It seems like maybe Paul should have said, free your slaves. But he doesn't. Because ultimately our, our, our life is not in this world. Our, our life is in heaven. Ultimately, we have a master who is kind and good. And we have an example of one who did something that seemed utterly unfair. He went to the cross for us. And so the real question that we have to answer, am I willing to be used? And I mean that in a harsh term. Am I willing to be used by someone else to give me the opportunity to display Christ to the world? That's a difficult, it is, it's a very difficult issue that we have to deal with as believers. Am I willing to be used by God for His glory that someone else might see Him in me? Let's pray together, please. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And God, we confess that sometimes it's difficult and it's hard. And it, it seems like that You've called us to something that's unfair. Help us, help us remember our Savior in those moments when we're tempted to, to give up, when we're tempted to, to not model You to the world, when we're tempted to think it's just not worth it. God, through Your Spirit, remind us that um, we have one that went before us and chose to do difficult things for our sake. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.